A few years ago, I began a new spiritual journey. I was raised a Christian, but tired of my confusion and denying my gifts, I decided to take a new path of discovery and internal growth. Along the way, one thing I realized was how many others are in a similar place in their lives, knowing there's more, but stuck in their own conditioning or doubt. So I decided to start this podcast as a way of vocalizing the things I was learning. But then it became something more. I decided to blend my own quest for self-discovery with a deep dive into the fascinating world of Cajun culture. We'll unravel the unexpected connections between these two paths and how they play a unique role in guiding us towards healing and growth, hopefully while offering insights and inspiration. I'm Heather, and this is Soulful Wonderings with the Pretend Cajun. Are you coming along for the ride? So I've really been contemplating what I wanted to talk about this time. Um, it's something I've been really thinking about for a couple of weeks now and just kind of struggling to decide. And that's actually probably the hardest thing about the podcast for me. There's just so many things that I want to talk to you guys about, you know, spirituality, Cajun, all the things. There's just so much, but there's actually one more thing I wanted to talk about from our Memphis trip. And I think as I get into this and we talk about it, you're going to see why I think it actually fits in to our little conversations that we have here. But it's just been on my mind a lot. And I think because it just really relates to what's going on in my life these days. Okay, so let me see if I can explain this a little bit. Um, One of the things we were really, really interested in when we went to Memphis was the music scene. Because truthfully, we are both really big music lovers. Um, music's always been a part of my life. Um, I started singing when I was a child. I still do at times. Um, I played piano when I was young. It was a really big thing for my mom. And that was something that she instilled in us. Um, music has probably literally saved my life a couple of times. Um, when I was working through some um, really big stress <laughs> or some, um, really deeply depressing times in my life where music was the thing that gave me an outlet and helped me work through those emotions. And I'll also say that our musical tastes are quite varied. Um, we all, that's my husband, my son and myself, we all listen to a lot of different types of music um, genres, styles, whatever you want to call it, um, coming from different times, different decades. And I would say really for all of us, um, you will often find us, you know, with headphones in our ears, um, listening to music or with music on in our cars and whatnot. So it really is a big part of our life. And we were pretty excited to learn about the music history in Memphis. So of course, as one does when you're going somewhere on a trip, you start to do research and see what there is to do in the area where you're going. And of course, for Memphis, we were going to Graceland. I mean, that was a given. And I immediately um, was, I think I kept repeating, I want to go to Sun Records. And so that was high on my list. And then we also wanted to visit Stax Records 
which we actually didn't know much about that one. But the more we looked, we knew it was definitely a place we wanted to check out as well. So if you aren't aware, um, Sun Records is considered the birthplace of rock and roll. It's a place where Elvis Presley actually first recorded. And there's just so much history there. There's so many people who've gone through those doors. And the man that started it, his name is Sam Phillips. And one of his things was that he would record anything, anywhere. And the truth is, because of that and his attitude towards this and the and how hard he worked to to get the recordings done and whatnot and the way he would go truly anywhere to record, he was truly a pioneer of this music scene in Memphis. So I'm going to tell you, I mean, we were walking up to the building and I kind of, I started having the feels right away as we started walking up and I, I can't figure out the word to describe it. it this probably sounds a little lame, I guess, but it just felt so, um, it was so vintage, <laughs> but it, just, it felt authentic. It was just so real. It felt like I was walking up to a place that I'm not sure it's even changed since the time that Elvis Presley walked through the door. And then you walk through the door <laughs> and there is this huge picture on the wall and it's Elvis and Johnny Cash Jerry Lee Lewis, and this one took us a minute to figure out, because this guy looks different in every picture that you see, I swear, but it was Carl Perkins. And I'm telling you, just seeing all them together, and so young, oh my gosh, it was just so amazing. And and the feels, they, they were just growing. The more I was there, they were just growing. One thing I found interesting was that the place was actually fairly small, to be honest. I don't know. I guess I thought it would be bigger, you know, this big recording studio. So it was a lot smaller than I expected it to be. And, you know, I'm sure that they try to respect the history um, of what was there at that time. Um, so, so many things there, you know, they just have that... <laughs> that vintage look that's really not the right word I don't guess but it I'm telling you it's like you you stepped into a time machine you know and you've stepped back in time but for part of the tour they took us upstairs and you know of course up there they have um all their displays of the various artists and whatnot who made their their start at sun so there's pictures and instruments and um even different um recording devices that were used uh, there's a control board from an old radio station where the DJ um, would listen to new records of new artists and whatnot coming out. And if he didn't like them, he would literally break the record on the floor of this act that he didn't like. And so, of course, there's broken records all over the floor because, you know, back then, y'all, <laughs> no CDs, no digital downloads. They were literal vinyl records. So that was just actually really neat to see and um hear those stories and and know what those people had done um to to break into music um and become recording artists um, they also explained that this upstairs area used to be used as sleeping quarters basically so when you had an artist in town that was recording in the studio this is where they would sleep and like again it was such a small area so that was just um it was so fascinating to me to think about what it must have been like to um, 
to come to Sun and record and, and stay there for a few days as you're making your record. And then we made our way back downstairs and that's when we actually entered the studio itself. And talk about stepping back in time. And the other thing that I was struck by, of course, immediately, when I walked through the door, I could just feel all this energy. I mean, it just hit me like this wave. And it was a bit different, I think, than other energy I've felt at times. Because I could feel all the creativity. I could feel the hopes and, and the fun and the playfulness. And it just felt... Um, it felt really warm and welcoming, you know, I, I kind of, it's like I felt all of those people that had to come through there, and for me, it, it kind of felt like I was among my friends, so that was, um, that was really nice, and I just suddenly just felt very at home, and felt like it was somewhere that I just wanted to stay, you know, but the really neat thing about that studio is everything is the same, they've, they used it for something different after but now they've come back to the studio and they've made sure that anything that got covered up for its new use all that was taken down so it looks the same as it did all those years ago so the the ceiling still has those same sound barriers you know so that sound is absorbed or or bounced or whatever needs to happen in the studio um, the tile floor is the original floor, complete with, um, there's a little divot, a little hole where the uh, upright bass stood. Um, there's a piano in the room that has burns on some of the keys where Jerry Lee Lewis would put his cigarettes. There's also a drum kit in the back, and that was used by the band U2 because they actually were in Memphis when they recorded the song When Love Comes to Town with B.B. King. And that drum kit is actually still sitting in the studio. Actually, if you have a chance and um, have the desire, <laughs> go check out the video for that song, When Love Comes to Town. And there are actually many, many shots, you know, of course of Memphis and Graceland and whatnot, but many shots of them in sun studios so um we saw that same room that we were in and the thing that's even crazier to me about this is that you can actually still rent studio time in that very studio and I've already been thinking about the first time that I want to go record there yeah I feel like y'all I have to do it at some point anyway I digress there was also this old mic there that, of course, it, it looked like it was from the era of Elvis and all those guys. So, of course, I love all that old stuff, and I was fascinated by it. And the tour guide explained that, of course, it doesn't work anymore, but that basically everyone who had come through the studio had used it at some point. So, of course, I had to take a picture with it. And there was something inside me that, even if just for a minute wondered if when I touched it, if it would transfer some of that genius from some of those amazing artists, you know, if maybe just a little bit of that energy and that genius would be transferred to me. I'm not sure that there was, but maybe, maybe it could still work. We'll see. For me, Sun Studios really was quite a moving experience. Um, it's one I think I'll always remember. And the truth is, like I said, I, I could have just hung out there all day. I think I could have just stayed and visited with the people. And, and um, who knows, maybe eventually recorded something. 
But alas, we had to go. We had other places to see, including looking for Elvis at Graceland. Like I said, I never found him, but still, we did have to go. So like I said, we also visited Stax while we were there. That is now a museum. And like I said before, to be honest, I didn't know a whole lot about them, but they were suggested when we were doing research about our visit. And <laughs> wow, did it not disappoint. I was really, I was surprised when I got there. Um, this was the label of Otis Redding, um, Sam and Dave, um, Isaac Hayes, and that's that's really just a few. They had so many artists signed there. Um, it was founded by a man named Jim Stewart and his sister, and they were known for their southern soul music. Now, later, we actually went to a place called the Rock and Soul Museum as well, and that one was a bit more, I guess, all-encompassing, where it covered really all of the music history there in Memphis, and some of the others were more specific to, say, soul or rock or like Sun and Stacks, they were about the labels. And of course, that one was truly amazing as well, because you saw that history where it began, which was really at the gospel level. And then it went through all of these artists and you saw the equipment progressions and everything. And it just gave you such a great sense of just how many artists and how many styles of music were part of this history and it it's a lot it's deep and it was so 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 fascinating and of course as you would hear all this music as you would go through you were just brought back maybe to an earlier time or the first time you heard that song or something so it was really a beautiful experience to do that but here's where a lot of this really got interesting to me so both of these studios were started by white men. Stax in particular was started because Jim Stewart wanted to give black artists a place to record. Now the studio itself was an old movie theater that they had converted and of course out front there was the old candy counter and they used that as a place to sell their records. But what was really neat is often they would give records to the local kids and they would ask them to listen to it and then come give their feedback you know come tell us what you thought about it this gave them an idea of what the kids liked what they didn't like so then they knew what to do in the studio but then they would also give records to their up-and-coming artists and tell them hey listen to this this will help you know what's popular right now so they kind of knew what to strive for and then, of course, as you're going through the museum, there's different videos that they had produced, you know, the different artists and whatnot. And they would, you know, interview them about the time that they had had been with the label. And one of the really fascinating things that they would talk about is how they didn't see color. They, they didn't care about all that. They saw a musician, a musician that was good. So they enjoyed playing together. They made great music together. And that's what was important to them. And the truth is, as you walk through Memphis, often what you'll see on a t-shirt or on a, a coaster or whatever is it's not black, it's not white, it's the blues. And that was so true then. And as you walked through these museums and you listen to those interviews, 
you felt that and it that was a real thing everyone was accepted and then when they would market these bands these groups they might have a black band that was in an all-white venue or vice versa but they wouldn't say anything about that they would just promote the music and evidently often people would be a bit shocked when you know the band would start playing the curtain would open or whatever and they would see who's playing and they would be wait a minute that's not what I was expecting but they loved it they enjoyed it and it worked it was great but there's even more there's stories of sounds that were distinctive to these groups that maybe because they basically invented something, you know, with their instrument. They needed this certain sound and um, they didn't have a drum. So um, actually Johnny Cash did this, but um, he put paper um, through the strings on the neck of the guitar. And then when you strummed it, it actually sounds like um, a drum. But they just created that because they didn't have what they needed. And that would often happen with black musicians in particular because they they simply didn't have the money for this fancy equipment. And the truth is a lot of them were that way, not just black musicians. These were poor country people. They didn't have money for this fancy stuff. So they worked with what they had. You know, this is what I have. This is the sound I need to make. Let me try this. Let me try this. Until it worked. And so by doing that... They actually changed music as we know it today. And then you would also hear these stories of these big names being at a studio. Of course, they were a big name now. They weren't a big name then, but it just wasn't working. I mean, there's a story about Sam Phillips. He didn't want to sign Elvis, y'all. He just, he just didn't see anything special. But the lady... Um, that had discovered him and had heard him sing, you know, kept pushing and said, no, you need to listen to him. You need to listen to him. So one day, um, if I remember correctly, they had been recording and it just wasn't going well. And um, Elvis was just playing around on a piano in the studio. And he started playing a gospel song that he grew up with. You know, that's what he knew. Um you know, these, these praise songs, these gospel songs, that's what he knew. And so he started um, playing the song. And of course, the passion of, of that song and, and his love of that song and his love of the music started coming out. And it was then that Sam Phillips saw the magic in Elvis. But that wasn't the only story like that. There were others that we kept hearing where maybe there was a group that had been playing and, and maybe they were even starting to pack up and get ready to go. And, you know, somebody would start playing around because I don't know how many of you are musicians or no musicians, but <laughs> I feel like that's just how they are and what they do. If you leave instruments around and there's a musician around, at some point you're, you're going to find them just playing around, you know, um, throwing playing some chords, you know, playing through a song they know, whatever it is. It's almost like they can't help themselves, right? But in those moments, that was actually when some of the best music was made. Because in those moments, those musicians, they were just being themselves. They were just doing the things they loved. That was their passion. And that's when it was absolutely evident. And with that passion, that's where the magic comes. 
they weren't doing what a label expected anymore. They weren't trying to, to uh, make something that someone said they should. They weren't trying to be perfect to make the next hit so they, ca- they could sell more records. They were just being them. And the basis of so much of this music was the gospel music that these guys had played at home or in church. Like I said, these are country folks, you know, that's what you did. You went to church, you sang the hymns, you know, you often did that at home. There weren't TVs and internet and stuff like that. When a lot of this first got started, you know, often sitting around and, and, and someone playing an instrument and singing was, was something that families did. So this was what they knew. And they didn't necessarily know what a genre was at the time. They just knew what they liked. And of course, they all listened to each other. So they influenced each other. And they all respected each other. You know, so if they saw something that another musician did that, you know, they really loved, well, they might adopt that little bit themselves and put it into what they did. So, of course, then you start having basically all this crossover and that's where all these new genres of music were born and the truth is though that all came from just all these musicians that were just doing their thing and learning and growing and just being them so you ended up though with soul and r&b and of course you had the gospel that started um what rockabilly oh my gosh there were so many so many influences and it was all just truly magical because they were just being them and doing what they loved and of course at the time that all this was happening you know that's why these labels started they wanted people to hear this music so they're out there marketing and for me when you know I'm going through school learning all these things this is what they called grassroots marketing that's what these guys were doing. They were just doing the basic stuff, working with what they had. They didn't talk about all the the black, white musician, none of that stuff. They just talked about the music, you know, to let the music speak for itself. And you know who their focus groups were? It was those kids coming in the record shops. And you know that picture I told you about? That was publicity that Sam Phillips created. I believe it was Johnny Cash that was at the studio and he called the others and told them to come over and called a reporter and actually created that Photoshop, um, that photo opportunity. Because at the time, actually, Elvis had actually already been signed with RCA, I believe. So he couldn't even legally record there or anything. But they created that shot so that he could get some publicity. Like I said, y'all, it's working with what you have and, um, just thinking about what can I make work? Thinking outside the box. How can I make this work? Grassroots. That's what all that is. But what is it really? It's the basics. All of this, all that they did, it was just basic stuff. It was nothing fancy. Like I said, you're just doing what you can with what you've got. And you're following your passion. These men started these labels because they had a passion for their music. Another interesting thing that I found about many of these artists. Now, a few of them that I mentioned saw, they saw big time success, worldwide success. I mean, obviously, Elvis was the biggest and 
you know, we see the success he had, (laughs) but not all of them had that kind of success. And truly outside of the South and sort of North of that Memphis area, they didn't really see success outside of that area. And, 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 you know, it screwed it up. Do you know? Yeah. It was society. It was expectations. Now I'll grant you this. Stax lost Otis Redding. You know, he died young And so that was a blow to them. I'll grant you that one. That didn't help. And I'm sure it played a part. But um, when Dr. King was murdered, that changed everything. Obviously, it changed the world. We all know that. It also changed the music in Memphis. It changed the atmosphere everywhere. But in Memphis, remember when I told you no one cared? Everyone was accepted. They just were musicians doing their thing. Well, now, after these events... You started seeing color matter, and you started seeing those things start to break down. And truthfully, Stax actually went bankrupt not long after those events. So all this has been just on my mind lately. I've been thinking about all the things we learned while while we were there and how things have changed and how I felt when I walked into Sun Records, I felt fired up, y'all. I felt I was ready to go create when I left that place. Um, it was amazing. But I think part of it was just how much these guys did and with so little to work with. But how often are we letting society and expectations and conditioning influence what we do? All of those things changed stacks. It changed sun. It changed how the music scene looked in Memphis. How often are we doing that with ourselves? And I know for me lately, I've been, I've been caught up in growth. And I know that probably sounds odd. What do you mean you're caught up in growth? Growing's good. But I've been caught up in theta. I've been doing a lot with the theta healing. I'm taking a class. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these things. But in the midst of all that, I'm, I'm forgetting to do all the other things. And before I know it, it's been weeks since I've done something simple like a good meditation or, or opened my journal. Okay. Opened it to write in it. Been weeks. And those are the things that keep me grounded and keep me centered And I mean, even something as simple as a little reading for someone just is not so simple anymore. And I mean, I blame myself, but I'm just, I'm all over the place. I'm overwhelmed. I I can't, I can't seem to get control of my mind. It's racing. And I find, you know, this happens to me kind of a lot. And then I start going, well, is it ADD? Is that what to blame? Maybe, but maybe all of this is causing my ADD because I find myself just, I just get caught up and I get busy and I lose sight of the basics and I lose sight of the core of who I am and my purpose of why I'm here. And sometimes in all of that, then I lose sight of the things that I actually enjoy. Now, I don't know how many of you are like me and you work a corporate job or or really any job. And maybe, you know, we, a lot of us have families and, Time just gets away from us. I mean, really fast, right? We're just so busy and we get overwhelmed and we get caught up in that expectation of life. You know, we have a job that leads to a promotion. 
Because we're following the shoulds and the expectations, right? And hear me, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not saying don't do your job and don't strive to advance, okay? Not saying any of that. What I'm saying is in all that, in all of just sort of following the path, following what's happening, following what's in front of you and just doing it, did you lose your passion? Did you get caught up and move away from the thing that you always dreamed of doing? Maybe maybe you always dreamed of being a vet. You love animals. You want to be a vet. And now you're so caught up that you don't even have time for a pet. And here's the truth. Maybe that dream changed. That happens. Maybe being a vet is really not what you want anymore. Maybe you realize, no, that's not really what it's about but you've kind of forgotten about your love for animals. Well, maybe if that's the case, it's time to look at a new dream. Maybe you can find a way to work or even volunteer at a shelter. But maybe it's time to remind yourself of that thing that you love. I'll also find that when we're doing all of these things, we'll find ourselves comparing ourselves to others do you do that maybe you see someone else that's they're very successful in their field and it's a field you enjoy maybe a field that you're trying to be successful in as well so now you try to do what they do and you think well they're successful if I do the same thing then then I'm going to be successful too but here's the thing you aren't them and you may be able to do similar things that's true but at the end of the day, you have to be you. Perfect example. I hear this all the time. It's like when people say this about Kelly Clarkson. Okay, they may not say it as much anymore. But when she first came out on the scene, they would say, oh, Kelly Clarkson is going to be the next Mariah Carey. Why, why can't she be the first Kelly? Or, or just Kelly? Why does she have to be the next someone? She's not Mariah. She's not anyone else. She's Kelly. And you know what? You're you. And your gifts are what make you unique. Just like Kelly's voice is what makes her unique. You know? And and your gifts may be similar to someone else's. That's true. We all do similar things. But just like the musicians in Memphis, you may borrow things from each other and incorporate it into what you do. And that's great. But at the end of the day, you have to be you. And I hope, I hope you're getting what I'm saying here. That This can pertain to anything. It's not just about a career. It can be about how you parent. It can be about how you volunteer. It can be about anything. What it is is that we often get so caught up in the expectation of what we are to do. We start to sort of blindly follow this path. We, we follow the conditioning of being what society says we should be. That we lose sight of who we are. And we forget to just be who we are. <laughs> so then we, okay, we figure that out. And we go, okay, well, I'm going to do all this work. So then we reach that point where we go, okay, I get it. I need to do that. And we start to do all this work. We work to become enlightened. And learn about ourselves. And follow our passions. And do all the things. But then... How often do we feel like that being us, okay, me being me, means I'm fighting against society. I'm, I'm just constantly fighting. How often do you feel like that it's a constant fight to figure out who you are and then live that way? 
to have the courage to live that way or to just remember why you're doing it in the first place and then doesn't that actually defeat the purpose I mean weren't we put here to have joyful lives shouldn't our lives be full of joy and happiness but how can there be joy if we're in a constant fight but maybe <laughs> we don't have to be in a constant fight hear me stay with me I've done a lot of work the past few years um, with human design with astrology I've done Akashic Records readings and all of these things were to try to understand who I am what my purpose is sort of how I'm wired and guess what surprise surprise they all basically point to the same things and I believe that at my core I believe this is the same for all of us that's where we're going to find our life's purpose so all of these things that I've been learning are to help me understand myself so that I can sort of navigate this life in a way that fits me and fits my personality and helps me to live that life's purpose. So what I've discovered is, maybe you've discovered this too, when I'm doing the thing or things that I love and the things that I'm passionate about, that's where the joy is. And we won't live our lives with everything all figured out, okay? It's not like there's going to be this day where we go, oh, that's it, figured it out, I have the answers, I am enlightened, I'm moving on. <laughs> it really doesn't work that way, right? We're constantly learning something. We're constantly growing. We're constantly putting more puzzle pieces together or removing another layer of the shadow work so that we're removing traumas and resentments and all those things. There's so many layers to that growth. But as we're growing and we're learning, if we're aligned with our purpose and with who we really are, that's where the joy is. That's when there's joy in that growth. And think about what I just said. I'm finding out who I am and all those things so that I can just be me. I teach a class through my job and I try to be prepared when I go in and make sure I say all the right things. Part of that is because it helps me not be so nervous. And also there is a part I'm going to admit that um, I do have to say things properly because there are compliance things with my job. So that part is true. But... The times when I'm in those classes that they go the best and the people tend to get the most out of them is when I just relax and I trust that I know what to say and that I just talk to those people that need me when I'm just me. Like Elvis was on that day with Sam Phillips. Like so many of those other amazing artists were they were just musicians being themselves and doing what they loved and that's where the joy was that's when the magic happened and i would venture to say that almost every time that magic happened and those record labels found success it was when they were doing the basics and just doing what they loved and what they were passionate about and the truth is i doubt they knew at the time that they were quote unquote pioneers they were just doing their thing 
But them doing their thing, them being them, them following their passion is where they became pioneers, where they created a path for others to follow. And it hit me actually in meditation the other day when I finally got back to it, right? Um, I had gotten a message a couple of months ago that kept saying, stay the path. Remember the end goal. Okay, okay, I got it. Stay the path. So I was sort of not allowing myself to do some things because I kept telling myself, but that's not part of the path. That's taking you away from the path. But y'all, I think I actually got it completely wrong. I think I completely misunderstood what that meant. I kept, took it as, you know, keep going, keep pushing for this quote unquote result. But that, I really don't think that was it at all. You know, that eyes on the prize, stay in the path. I think it was more about remembering who I am, not necessarily who I'm becoming. Go back to the basics. So that's where I am. Basics. <laughs> I'm trying to rediscover what I love you know I love this podcast I want to keep doing this podcast but there's some other things beside this that I've just kind of let go I've kind of um not been doing part of it has been time but that's that overwhelmed thing you know I haven't had time why haven't I had time because I've been doing too much of other things and I feel like a lot of times when I start feeling overwhelmed, it's because when I envisioned my future and where I want to go, I never really knew what I wanted it to look like. I never asked God in the universe for what I wanted or I wasn't asking for it properly because I didn't have a clear picture of it myself. Because you know what, even in all the growth that you experience, the growth has to have its base. It has to have its core right? It has to have a foundation. It starts with the basics. For me, it starts with what I love and what my purpose is. And again, for me, my basics are things like meditating and journaling, because what that does is it allows me to be more centered and to be more present. And from there, I'm allowing myself to just slow down, to listen to my body there's been some times lately where I've had to listen and just rest. And that also allows me to really pay attention to my intuition more. Because, you know, your mind can't be going a thousand miles an hour. It's got to be quiet enough for you to actually hear it, right? I'm also remembering to accept that things may not always go the way I planned. And that's okay. They are what they are. And they are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And sometimes it means that I just need to pivot a little bit when things don't work. Maybe I need to regroup. Maybe I just need to work with what I have. Just like how we worked with my long haul symptoms that I've had. We went outside the box. We did some old school healing. So maybe there's other things I need to go old school with. You know, just be me. Not this polished and buttoned up corporate professional but just crazy old laid back southern me. Maybe it's time to just do that. <laughs> I'm also having to remember to laugh. And to just find joy in my life and in my journey again. So for me these are all part of my basics. 
And those aren't really possible without that foundation of the meditation and the prayer and being centered and being focused. I'm also having to remember to laugh, you know, to find the joy in my life and my journey again. You know, crazy things happen and laugh. It is what it is. Laugh, regroup, move on. But all of that, see, that's part of my basics. And those basics aren't really possible without that foundation of meditation and prayer and being centered and focused. And of course, like I said, leads to me being able to find my joy and my love and my passions. So how many of you guys are feeling this way? How many of you are overwhelmed and out of sorts? I know at the time of this recording, um, we are really just days from Thanksgiving, which means we are right in the throes of the holidays, which is just, you know, added another level of stress, which is why for me, I had to back up and, and say, okay, you've got to relax here. You've got to, you've got to get back to your meditating and journaling and, and, and really deal with this, um, and get yourself centered up. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys feel that way, but I, that really, um, helped me realize what I needed to do to take a step back. Um, so I hope you guys can do that too. Maybe look at what, what basics do you need to find again? Maybe in your job, in your relationships, um, with your holiday prep, just in your journey and in yourself, you know, maybe it's time to get back to your basics and find your magic. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure and like and rate and follow and do all the things for our podcast. It really does help us out. Links and any other important things you need to know will be in the show notes. So make sure to check those out. If you have ideas of topics you'd like to hear about or questions you want us to answer, drop those on the Pretend Cajun page on Facebook or Instagram. And if you're interested in theta healing or maybe a reading, head over to the website, which is pretendcajun.com, to schedule a time. In the meantime, take care of yourself and each other. Until next time. <laughs>